Um, all right, let's go. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. We'll be hanging out there uh, today. Um, so I vividly remember uh, the first time that I began to realize that uh, friendships were uh, a bit complicated. Um, I was in middle school, uh, which ironically is where you find out that a lot of things are complicated. Um, but uh, I had this, uh, this really good friend named Trevor. And Trevor and I were super tight. Uh, we hung out all the time. We we're always uh, going over to each other's houses. I mean, we were boys. Like, we were super close. And Trevor also had the sickest pool around, right? Like, his pool was amazing. Everyone loved to go swim at Trevor's pool. And so one day, uh, I walk into class on a Monday, and I hear everyone talking about this pool party at Trevor's house. And I was like, oh, cool. When is it? And they're like, uh, it was like Friday. I thought, I thought you knew about it. And I was like, yeah. Oh, oh, oh that party on Friday. Yeah, I, I thought you meant like a future party. Yeah, I, I had that thing, you know. I was, yeah, I was, I was telling you about that thing that I had, right? Like, yeah, yeah, that's why I couldn't go. But yeah, all right, cool, 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 cool. And it was like the first time that I was like, oh, my gosh, like this was like my best friend. He didn't invite me to this, like, party. That's kind of weird. And so initially I was kind of confused, right? And then I thought, all right, we're tight. Like, surely there's, like, a good reason. Maybe his parents put, like, a limit on it. It was, like, a destination wedding type, type thing where, like, only friends and family and, you know, really, really close friends. And I was like, but I have a close friend, so I don't know. And so um, I was like, all right, surely there's, like, a reason. So I started asking. I'm like, cool, so, like, who all came? And they start, like, listing names. Like, they're like, oh, so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. I was like, well, that doesn't sound like a limited invite. That sounds like a lot of people. And then they said one name that, if I'm honest, it kind of set me off. Um, I don't know how your middle school experience was. If I'm being honest, there were people that we didn't like. Um, there were people that in our, like, kind of middle school world were like, oh, that guy's super annoying. We don't like to hang out with him, right? Uh, sinful, admittedly, um, but I, there was this one name, and I knew that my boy Trevor like, didn't even like this person, and they said his name, and all of a sudden, I was like, that guy? Like, you don't even like that guy, and he got an invite, and like, I thought we were friends, so all of a sudden, my emotions just hop on the roller coaster, right? So I go from like hurt of like, how could you, to like angry of like, how dare you, to like insecure, thinking, I don't know, maybe it was me, maybe I did something, I don't know. And then I'm like, no, I'm awesome, so back to like, how dare you, and I'm, I'm, I'm angry, and then I just go back to feeling hurt, and like, it's just this like roller coaster where I was like, oh, what's happening, right? Um, now, what's the point of me telling you that story? You need counseling, maybe, um, but that's not, that's not actually what I'm trying to communicate. Uh, the point is, at some point in time, we all come to this, like, realization that friendships are complicated, right? And, and I think, like, the older that we get, because that's probably not, like, new information for you, right? But I think the older that we get, the more we realize how frustratingly complicated friendships can be, right? Because friendships are amazing. And like you have, you have friends who, who, who can love you really, really well, right? Friends who encourage you, who, who have your back, who pick you up when you're down. Friends who um, celebrate with you and they grieve alongside you, right? But then like in a moment, sometimes those same friends can like stab you in the back. Or they can gossip about you or they can uh, be jealous of you and act all weird or they can um, just do a bunch of things that kind of annoy you or, or, or bother you. And, and you kind of realize, wow, this is, this isn't really easy, right? Like, like, like friends, like having friends, it's, it's awesome, but it's also kind of complicated, right? 
And so I, I bring that up because I think that what tends to happen is that when we look at um, relationships or community or friendships uh, within the church, we tend to think that, that, oh, if it's a friendship within the church, then it's exempt from all those complications, right? Because in our mind, oh, like my friends at church or my like church community, like they're, they look like Jesus, right? So like those friendships are marked by love and grace and compassion and kindness and, uh, and bringing in the outsider and, and, and all these things. And so we think, oh, like my friendships and the church, like those are exempt from all the complications, right? The problem is we're all sinners, right? And because we are sinners, like, like now, granted, we are redeemed sinners, right? So, so although we are counted as righteous, we're not actually righteous yet. So what happens is that we are prone to selfishness. We're prone to gossip. We're prone to jealousy. We're prone to all these things. And so relationships within the church are just as complicated as relationships outside the church. But we think that, oh, these should be easier relationships because we're all shaped and transformed by the gospel. And in theory, you're 100% right. Like, if the gospel is transforming our lives, that should 100% change the way that we interact with each other, right? That should shape our friendships and our relationships. And so the question is, how? Because that's some tension, right? Like, if, if the gospel should shape the way that we interact with each other within the church, like, these relationships should look different, yet they're, they're typically not. Like, how do we begin to make strides? How do we fix that problem? So that's where we're going to go tonight. I want us to um, do something really simple. I want us to read two verses in Hebrews 10, just two. And then I want to look at um, three specific characteristics of what the church should do from a community standpoint. Um, And and these are are things that uh, I don't think will fix the overall problem, um, but they will allow us to begin to make strides, to be a community that looks different because we are a community that is shaped by uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so um, let me uh, go ahead and we'll dive in. We'll start looking at that. So Hebrews 10, starting in verse 24 says, and let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. All right, start right there. So um, two short verses, but, but there's a lot packed in here, right? So um, if we read this, what, what we find is, is there are kind of three um, charges, three kind of calls for us as believers um, of, of what we should be doing as a community. And so um, if I could summarize those into three words, a, a, a community that's been transformed by the gospel should be a community that stirs, that meets, and a community that encourages, that we stir, we meet, and we encourage. And so um, what I want us to do is I want to look at what those mean. Um, but uh, kind of general rule of thumb when we read Scripture. If Scripture calls us to do something, it's usually because we're not naturally good at that thing, right? Um, like we're, we're told and we're called to do certain things because, hey, like that's not our default. And so if this is not our default, if, if, if we have to be told because we're not naturally good at stirring each other up, we're, we're not naturally good at meeting with each other, we're not naturally good at encouraging each other, then I want to figure out why. Because I'm a big believer that if we have a problem, we can't fix the problem until we know why that problem exists. So, so that's kind of the angle that we're going to take tonight. So let's start with this first idea of stirring, that we stir one another. In verse 24, it says, let us hold, or in verse, yeah, so 
let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, right? So we need to be a people that stir. Um, here's what's interesting about this word in the Greek. Um, the, the Greek word here for stir is a Greek word that means to incite or provoke. So he's saying that we need to literally provoke each other to love and good works. Here's what's awesome about that. We are already really good at provoking each other, right? Like, like we provoke each other to do stupid stuff for a laugh all the time, right? Um, flirting is provoking, right? Like when I flirt, like I, I spit game in hopes of provoking a response, right? That either you will go on a date, well, not me anymore because I got a fiance and she's amazing. So I, so I try to like flirt with her, not like in general, just to clarify, because I know that I would get like a, an earful later. Like, are you flirting with other girls? No, I'm not for the record. Um, but in general, we like provoke people, right? Like, and so, so we provo- provoke people all the time. The problem is that we don't usually provoke to love and good works, right? Yet we are being called here to say, hey, you incite, you provoke, you stir one another up to love and good works. And here's what's, um, again, cool about this. We don't have to, to add anything. I think oftentimes we read scripture and we see certain kind of calls or commands and we have to add something that we're not like already doing, but we already provoke people. Now it's, let's just edit what we provoke. Let's just change what we provoke. Let's like, you know, instead of provoking jealousy or anger or bitterness, let's provoke and stir and incite to love and good works, right? Now, the question again is, is all right, why? Like, like, why don't we naturally stir each other to love and good works? And this isn't like a rocket science answer. It's not like super like, but I think honestly, it's just easier to provoke people to other things. I think it's easier to, to provoke people to do anything else except love somebody outside themselves, right? So, um, for instance, I'm right now walking with my best friend through a situation where uh, a really close friend of his stabbed him in the, in the back. And it's just this kind of weird, like, out of no, nowhere kind of betrayal thing. Now, that naturally creates bitterness in his heart, right? Like, when you are betrayed, you are naturally kind of on guard and you naturally feel this bitterness. Now, when he and I talk, I have two options. I have two options of of how I can stir him up, right? One option is that I just feed the bitterness that's already there. I can be like, dude, you're right. He sucks. He's the worst. You would never do do that. Yeah, let's like isolate him and let's do, I mean, I I can just like feed that bitterness, right? Or I could go the other route and say, hey, man, I can't even begin to understand how you feel. Like, I can't begin to understand how betrayed you might feel, how, how stabbed in the back you may feel. Like, like, like it's not lost on me that that probably really hurts. But man, what would it take for us to figure out, like, why did he do that? What would it take for us to, I mean, because this isn't like characteristic of him, right? Like, this is the, like the first time in, in, in years. So, so, so maybe there's something going on. Maybe there's something deeper. What can we do to actually fight to reconcile? I mean, if, if the gospel has transformed us, I mean, we have a God who is, who knows a thing or two about betrayal because we betray him all the time, yet he went to great lengths to reconcile our relationship. So, man, what would it look like for us to actually press in and, and try to reconcile this? Like, those are two different responses, right? One is feeding the bitterness that's already there, and that's easy. That costs me nothing, but it will cost my friend something greatly because I'm not stirring him in a direction that leads to love and good works. I'm, I'm just stirring him into more bitterness. And I think if we're honest, a lot of times we tend to just stir each other up 
not to love into good works and to, to love others or to serve others. We stir each other just to be more bitter and angry and jealous or whatever that might look like. But what we're called to is to be a people who stir each other up to love into good works. And just imagine for a second how different life would be if, if we were known as people who began to stir each other up to love, right? If we just constantly gave people the benefit of the doubt, if we just constantly fought for reconciliation, if we constantly um, fought to, to, to push people towards just loving people extremely well, like not negating the fact that this is complicated, not negating the fact that, that there are moments in our lives that, man, they just hurt and they sting and they're not fun, but fighting to, to stir people in a way that, that actually looks like Christ. I have to believe that this place would look different. So the first thing that we're called to is that we are people who stir, who stir. But second, we are called to be a people who meet, who meet. Verse 25 says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Not, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. So, so what is clear is that the author um, is saying that we have a natural tendency to avoid and to isolate. So say, hey, don't, don't neglect to meet because some do that, right? That is the habit of some. There's a tendency within us to avoid and isolate when we're called to meet. So again, the question is why? Well, I think we avoid and we isolate for um, a number of reasons, but I wanna focus on three really quick. Um, one, I think we don't like people telling us how to live. I think we don't like people telling us how to live. Now, when you begin to follow Christ, when you say, hey, I, I, I'm, I'm all in, like I wanna follow Christ with everything that I have, what you are declaring is that you are dying to yourself, right? That you are no longer Lord or master over your own life. You are no longer your own God, but there is a God seated on the throne and you submit to him and that he is Lord and master over your life and you follow his lead, right? So as believers, as fellow believers, if you say, hey, that's where I am and I wanna follow Christ and I wanna submit to him, then there are moments in time when we have to walk alongside each other and point out blind spots or point out sin when we are not walking in step with what we claim to believe, right? Now, um, Paul makes it abundantly clear in 1 Corinthians 5 that, that it's not our job to judge people outside the church. It's not our job to judge non-believers or hold them to a standard that they don't confess to. But if we're a believer, I mean, we have a responsibility as brothers and sisters to, to hold each other accountable to what we claim to believe, right? The problem is no one likes that. Like, no one likes to be rebuked. No one likes to be told, hey, man, you're in sin. Hey, you have a blind spot. There's something going on that is leading to destruction. You better, like, watch out. Like, no one likes that. I don't. Like, ask Ben or Haley or anyone who knows me. If, if you call me out, my instinctual reaction is to get defensive. I think for a lot of us, we get defensive. And so when people call us out on sin, we avoid. We take a step back and we tend to isolate ourselves, right? Because no one likes to be told how to live, right? And I think on the flip side, I think that's why we are so timid and so cowardly sometimes when it comes to calling people out. Because we know instinctually that there's probably going to be some isolation, there's gonna be some avoidance. And so for the sake of my friendship, I don't wanna create distance between us. So I'm not gonna say anything about it even if I think that they're walking down a really destructive path. And that's so sad. Because the way that we grow is having people in our lives who lovingly point out our blind spots, who lovingly say, hey, I, I know that you think this leads to life, but it does not. 
and it, I, like I see the end, and you're walking down a really destructive path. Like our growth is stunted if we don't have people who love us enough to bring us back and to call us out, right? Like like if I'm like a, just a jerk, like just like an arrogant, prideful jerk, and people don't tell me about it, you are robbing me of the opportunity to grow in that area. Right? If I'm like passive aggressive and everyone around me knows that I'm passive aggressive and no one tells me about it, it stunts my growth to grow in that part of my life. Right? If I'm like just impatient, I'm always flying off the handle and I don't recognize it, but the people around me do and they don't say anything to me about it. Granted, again, that's, that's awkward. It's awkward to say, hey, bro, I think you have a patience problem. But if they don't tell me that, then I can't grow in that. So for us, our growth comes from being in a community of people who, who are willing to gather and to meet and to just have really hard conversations, conversations that require truth and grace. And, this, and just saying it in a really loving way, but, but speaking hard truth. But I think that we tend to avoid meeting because, one, we don't like people telling us how to live, despite the fact that that's how we tend to grow, right? But second, I think that uh, we tend to avoid because uh, we're really afraid of being known. If we're honest, we're afraid of being, being known. Um, I think the more that you hang around Christians, you find that um, at some point you have to start being transparent um, because Christians are the most nosy, invasive people on the planet. Um, we call it being intentional, but it's, it's nosy. Let's just call it what it is. It's nosy, right? Um, but no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but there are moments in time when, when we want to be transparent like we want to be a community that that that's known because we we believe there is freedom in bringing our sin into the light bringing our struggles into the light and saying hey I can't do this on my own I need some help I need someone to walk alongside me right and so there are these moments in time when it requires us to be known but man that's terrifying because I think somewhere along the way we tend or we tend to buy this lie that if people really knew me they wouldn't accept me if people really knew me, they wouldn't love me. They would think less of me. They would judge me. And so we kind of just kind of stuff things away or we, we hide things because we think, man, if they actually knew about the addiction, there's no way they would accept me. Are you kidding? These are church people. If they knew about the abortion, they, they, they wouldn't love me. If they knew about the abuse, they wouldn't love me. If they knew how far down this road I've gone, there's no way they would accept me or like me or, or have me be a part. If, if, if they knew what I struggled with, if they knew that one thing that happened in college, I haven't told a soul, there's no way they would love me. And so we buy this lie, and what happens is we just hide because we're terrified of being known. And I want you to hear me say, like, I get that. I understand it is terrifying to bring anything into the light when we think that it's gonna lead to people rejecting us. But here's the beauty of the gospel. The gospel frees us up to be transparent because the story of the gospel is not that God accepts you because you're awesome. The story of the gospel is that God accepts you and loves you despite the fact that you're not awesome. The story of the gospel is we have a God who is holy and just and righteous that we've sinned against him, that we've broken relationship with him, rightfully earning death, yet in the most crazy over-the-top act of love the world has ever known, he went to great lengths to reconcile that relationship at the cost of his son. So the truth of the gospel is that Jesus went to the cross because we're sinners, because we fall short. And so now, 
the ground is level. Our sin is equal. All of our sin nailed Jesus to the cross. I don't care if it's a respectable sin or one that we tend to call taboo. All of our sin nailed Jesus to the cross. And so now we have the freedom to, to not hide anymore. And to say, look what God redeemed. Look what God redeemed. Like God paid for this and he nailed it to the cross. That's not who I am anymore. Yes, it might still be a struggle or, or maybe that, that, that haunts me. But we get to come and bring it into the light and we get to celebrate the fact that the grace of God covers every sin. Every kind of sin. Yeah, that's terrifying. But my hope is that the more that we understand the gospel, the more that it transforms our heart and it transforms our life, it leads us to a place where we can just bring it into the light and say, man, look what God redeemed. Look what God redeemed because the gospel frees us to be transparent. Um, third, I think we avoid because um, we don't like people telling us how to live. We don't, uh, we're, we're afraid of being known. But, but lastly, and this might be a little bit more niche, um, but I, I think sometimes uh, we we avoid meeting because people can be exhausting. Let me explain. Um, we don't talk a lot about introversion in the church. I think that if you're an introvert in the room, you might feel like church is a place where extroverts excel. You don't really quite know if you have a spot. Um, but I am uh, an introvert who gets paid to be an extrovert. Uh, so my, my, my week is very relational. I spend a lot of my week uh, facilitating community and, and, and helping build community and meeting with people. Um, and so when the weekend comes, um, I don't want to facilitate community anymore. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. So my exhausted, introverted self just wants a break. I just want to, like, sneak away. I just want a moment. I just want to recharge, right? Introverts, you understand me, right? Say amen. No, that's a joke because introverts don't talk in church. Um, <laughs> I know better than that. But you wrote it big in your journals. So I was like, amen, brother. Um, but anyway, I got you. That was a trick. I got you. Um, anyway. We're off the rails. I lost my train of thought. Okay, introverts. Um, now, there's nothing, like, inherently wrong about recharging, right? Like, like it is good for us to recharge and to be healthy. And, and, and maybe people just, um, like, a lot of people exhaust you from time to time, and you just need a moment just to, like, recharge, and that's good. And maybe I'm just speaking to myself here, but I know my tendency, and my tendency is to use my introversion as an excuse to just disengage from community. And I can hide under the banner of, oh man, I just need a night to recharge. And then that night leads to another night. And what happens is after a while, I kind of write this narrative in my head of, man, people are exhausting. Not like, hey, I need a night to like recharge, but man, people are exhausting. And then I just kind of avoid. And there have been seasons in my life where I have um, kind of taken myself out of community just because I'm just tired and exhausted. And so for us, if you are an introvert in this room, we need to find that balance. Because we're called to meet. We're called to, to, to gather because that's where growth happens. That we grow when we gather and we have people speaking into our lives. We have people um, knowing us in a really cool way. And so we have to figure out what that balance is so that we can be healthy, we can recharge, but we can also um, fulfill this command to meet. Because God has wired us for community. God has wired us for relationships. So we have to figure out what that balance is. Um, on the flip side, if you are an extrovert, and, and it doesn't even make sense to you how anyone could be exhausted by people. I mean, one, you're probably the exhausting person. Um, but two, no, I'm just kidding. So I'm like, I'm, I'm like really just like judging people not. I'm really sorry. Um, but odds are, like, this could be a really cool time to understand how introverts work. And, and I think oftentimes it's easy to uh, confuse, um, like, 
introversion and like rest with like isolation, right? And I think the, the more that we understand how each other work, and on the flip side, introverts understanding how extroverts work. Like I think this is a really cool part of the body of Christ. We have introverted people, extroverted people, and we're all called to meet even though we uh, receive our energy from different ways. And so I think there's a, a need for us to continue to meet um, regardless of where you fall. Let me kind of wrap all that up because that's a lot. Um, we're called to meet, right? And whether it's because or whether you avoid because you think, man, I don't want people telling me how to live or I'm afraid of being known or I'm just exhausted. And, and right now I'm in a season where people just exhaust me wherever you fall. Um, we can't deny the fact that we have a God who says, no, you need to meet. You need to gather. You need to, to come together and commune because Man, life is there and growth happens there because you are wired for community, right? But there's, there's one last thing that we're called to in this passage. And it's that we need to be a people who encourage. A people who encourage. Verse 25 says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Whether you follow Christ or not, life can be a beatdown. There are moments in life when it's just a beatdown. There are moments when um, life is marked by loss. There are moments when life is marked by sickness. There's moments when life is uh, marked by unmet expectations. There are moments in life when you feel like you just can't catch a break. And when we enter into those seasons of life, what tended to happen is we feel hopeless. We're so blinded by what's in front of us. We're so blinded by our circumstances that we just think, God, there just doesn't seem like there's a way out. I just don't know where to go from here. And we forget where our hope is. And in those moments, what we need is a community of fellow believers to rally around us and remind us of our hope and to encourage us specifically with like the true hope, not, not some kind of fleeting false hope, but the true hope. And what is that hope? It says, encourage each other all the more as the day is drawing near. What that's referring to is there is a day coming when Christ has promised to return. And when he does, he's gonna make all things new. And Revelation 21 talks about this new, this new heaven, this new Jerusalem, this, when, when God redeems this world that's been plagued by sin, and he makes all things new, and he, and he takes away all of our tears. There's no more crying or pain or mourning or heartache or abuse. Everything is restored and redeemed, and, and it says that God's dwelling place is going to be with us. His dwelling place is going to be with his people, that we get to approach God with unveiled face, we get to walk with God healed in a hole. It's this beautiful moment of time, this beautiful picture. And maybe you hear that and you think, man, that sounds like a fairy tale. That sounds like some kind of crutch that Christians use to, to make themselves feel better. You might be right, but here's the deal. There's a lot of crutches out there. There's a lot of things that we lean on to find hope. And the majority of them are extremely flimsy. If you find your hope in money, that's a very flimsy crutch. 
If you lean on uh, your job status, that's a flimsy crutch. If you lean on a relationship and that's where your hope lies, that's a, a flimsy crutch, right? Everything that we tend to lean on, it just, it fails us. Yet our hope is found in the fact that we have a God who has gone to great lengths to redeem and restore what's been cursed by sin. And there's coming a day when we get God. We get, we get to stand before a God healed and whole in front of his glory. It's, it's amazing. And so what we do as believers is we encourage each other that, man, what we experience right now is not the end. But there's a day coming and we long for that day. We long for the day when Christ comes and returns and makes all things new. When I was a senior in college, uh, I lost my dad, and I've shared, shared that story a few times. Um, and that's a, a day that I will vividly remember my entire life. You, you just don't forget days like that. And um, I remember the day that he, he passed, I had to drive back home to College Station to pick up some, some things so I could go home for a week. And I just remember driving, and I just felt numb. I just felt numb and tired, and I'd spent a week in the hospital, and I just, I was just numb. And I pulled in my driveway, and I hop out, and I open the door, and there are 20 bros in my living room. And I walk in, and it was the most incredible thing. 20 just, just dudes. Um, and we just sat there. And for a while, we didn't say anything. We just sat and we cried. And we mourned and we took in the gravity of what happened. That death isn't supposed to happen. That loss isn't supposed to happen. That's not the idea. That that is a result of the fall. And we just sat and we cried and we hugged. And that night and over the course of many other nights when I had just kind of lost sight of where our hope is, those men were able to say, hey, let me remind you of what's happening here. Let me remind you that, um, man, this is broken, and we feel that. And I praise the Lord that we have a God who hasn't left us on our own, but he's gone to great lengths. He's, he's allowed his son to make a way for us. So there's gonna be a day where we get to, to stand before God, and, and all this, all the pain, all the trial, all that stuff, it's gonna pale in comparison to the glory of our God. So man, that's the day that we long for. Our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in the day that is coming. So man, press in, look, like let's, let's look toward that day. Let's encourage each other as that day comes near. And I don't know what I would have done during that season if I didn't have a community of men around me who were encouraging me with actual hope. Not, not some kind of fleeting false hope, but the actual hope, the hope that comes from what our God has promised to do. The reality is that the gospel should 100% shape our friendships. It should shape our community. It should shape how we interact with one another. And again, like this, this might not fix the whole problem as a whole, but what can happen is that if, is if this community starts right now, if the people in this room decide, hey, we're gonna be a community that stirs, that meets, that encourages, that our community is gonna be marked by um, provoking and inciting one another to love and to good works, that we are gonna gather, even when we don't want to, even when our natural inclination is to avoid and isolate and we're, and we're gonna press in and then and we are going to rally around each other and we're just gonna encourage each other. 
just encourage each other when we fall, when life is a beat down. We're just going to pick each other up and we're, we're going to keep running, pressing forward, looking to the day when Christ is going to come and make all things new. Man, would you, can you just see what this community would look like? This would be a community that looks different. That, that the community inside the walls of the church and, and hopefully would bleed into what the community looks like outside the church. That's my hope, is that the gospel transforms us in such a way that our community looks drastically different. That we stir, that we meet, and we encourage. Let me pray. Father, I uh, know that for me, I'm so bad at all this. Um, I'm so prone to avoid, I'm so prone to isolate, I'm so prone to uh, want my, my own way and to feed bitterness, to feed gossip, to, to do all these things. And Father, I, I know I'm probably not alone in that. Father, I ask that you do a work in our hearts, that you open our eyes to what you've called us to, that you've called us to something better, that you've called us to something greater. Father, may our community look different, not because we're working really hard, but because we're slowly just trying to look more like you. We're trying to stir each other up. We're trying to meet. We're trying to encourage. Father, will you give us the strength to do the hard work of building a community that reflects the love and the grace and the compassion that you've shown to us? We love you. It's your Sunday, we pray. Amen.